Well, hey, leader, and welcome to another episode of the L3 Leadership Podcast, where we are obsessed with helping you grow to your maximum potential and to maximize the impact of your leadership. My name is Doug Smith, and I am your host, and today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Baratong Advisors. We're also recording this episode live from the new Return.com studio. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope that you'll enjoy our content and become a subscriber. Know that you can also watch all of our episodes over on our YouTube channel, so make sure you're subscribed there as well. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and it's made an impact on your life, it would mean the world to me if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really does help us to reach more leaders and make a bigger impact, so thank you in advance for that. Well, leader, in today's episode, you're going to hear my conversation with Trudy Kathy White. If you're unfamiliar with Trudy, let me just tell you a little bit about her. Trudy is a native of Georgian and the only daughter of Jeanette and Truett Cathy, the founders of Chick-fil-A Inc. An ambassador for the family business, Trudy has held various roles within Chick-fil-A, including that of restaurant operator at just 19 years old. Trudy and her husband, John, served as missionaries in Brazil and co-founded LifeShape and Impact360 Institute. A developer and encourager at heart, White has served as the director of Windshape Camps for Girls from 2003 to 2017. She is a speaker, author, dedicated wife, mother of four, and grandmother of 15. Every day she is fueled by her passion to be intentional with her influence. In everything that Trudy does, she is led by her commitment to obey God's leadership, nurture family relationships, and promote godly character in the next generation. More information on Trudy's life and family can be found at trudycathywhite.com. And I think you're going to love this conversation, leaders. In our conversation, you'll hear Trudy talk about what she learned from her mom and dad growing up. You'll learn how to build a legacy that lasts within your family, how to create your family values, and so much more. I absolutely loved my time with Trudy, and I think it's going to add massive value to your life. But before we dive into that, just a few announcements. This episode of the L3 Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Baratung Advisors. The financial advisors at Baratung Advisors help educate educate and empower clients to make informed financial decisions. You can find out how Baratung Advisors can help you develop a customized financial plan for your financial future by visiting their website at baratungadvisors.com. That's B-E-R-A-T-U-N-G advisors.com. Securities and investment products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA and SIPC, Baratung Advisors, LPL Financial, and L3 Leadership are separate entities. I also want to thank our sponsor, Henny Jewelers. They're a jeweler owned by my friend and mentor, John Henny. And my wife, Laura, and I got our engagement and wedding rings through Henny Jewelers and had an incredible experience. And not only do they have great jewelry, but they also invest in people. In fact, for every couple that comes in engaged, they give them a book to help them prepare for marriage. And we just love that. So if you're in need of a good jeweler, check out Henny Jewelers. And I also want to thank our new sponsor, Return.com. And leader, let me just ask you this. Have you ever had an interest in investing in real estate? Well, now for as little as $500, you can become a commercial real estate investor. Just visit Return.com to learn more. That's R-E-I-T-U-R-N.com. Investing involves risk. Please consult the return offering circular if you're interested in investing. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. Here's my conversation with Trudy Cathy White. Well, Trudy Cathy White, welcome to the L3 Leadership Podcast. Uh, it's such an honor to get to spend time with you and really looking forward to our conversation and you adding value to our audience. Oh, thanks, Doug. What an honor to be here with you today. Thank you so much for the invitation. You got it. And I, I obviously want to start just obviously you're a Kathy and grew up with Chick-fil-A. And so I really just to give people context of, of who you are and kind of your journey. Can you give us the journey of, of your experience with Chick-fil-A? 
Sure. I love telling the story. We'll go back to before my experience. Actually, my dad was 25 years old and single in 1946 when he opened his very first restaurant, a very small diner about five minutes away from the Atlanta airport. Uh, Three years later, he married my mom and she became a waitress in the restaurant with him. And for about 18 plus years, my dad uh, ran that restaurant and learned how to take care of customers and serve quality food. Uh, Even for us as children, my mother used to put us in the car and take us to his restaurant and we would sing for the customers. If you can imagine (laughs) such a thing, we've got some, we've got some crazy pictures of us dressed up in these little costumes. I don't know. I think my mother thought that was really the only way we'd have a whole lot of time to spend with our dad because he was working some long, long hours in those early, early years for sure. But um, my dad did decide to open a second restaurant about five years later in 1951. And that restaurant ended up uh, burning to the ground some years later. So it left him back in his original restaurant, which is where the Chick-fil-A story began, because my dad said he had a little bit more free time on his hands. Uh, He was able to be a little bit more creative and decided he could debone the breast of the chicken. He could season it to perfection. He could pressure cook it in peanut oil, serve it on a toasted buttered hamburger bun with kosher dill pickles and called it a chicken sandwich the first time anybody's ever eaten chicken as a sandwich before. So that was in 1964. I think we're all excited that he invented such a thing. And (laughs) my, my dad often would remind us through the years that had it not been for the fire in that second restaurant, he probably would have never invented Chick-fil-A, which has always stuck with me because I've learned that difficulties of we can navigate through our difficulties. Oftentimes, um, God's going to use that in a special way. And we'll get into that, I think, probably later in the podcast. But it's just a great reminder how uh, not to be discouraged when hard things happen, because my dad was able to invent the sandwich. And then three years later, in 1967, the very first shopping mall opened here in Atlanta called the Greenbrier Mall. And my dad had this brilliant idea that he would like to take and serve his sandwich at the mall. So he went to the mall developers and asked if he could lease a small uh, area there at the mall to serve food for the customers that were in the mall shopping with them. And the mall developers said, there is no way we are ever going to serve food in a mall. And so my dad uh, didn't get too discouraged by that. He was pretty persistent and went back multiple times with meetings with the mall developers and said, You know, here's what I I think. People come to the shopping mall uh, to shop with you, but they get hungry. And if they have to leave and get in their car and go eat somewhere, they're not likely to turn around and come back to the mall and shop with you. So if you'll feed them, they're liable to stay around a lot longer. And so the mall developers decided that might be a good idea. So they did lease them a, a, a small location, not at all on the main drag, just on an off wing at the mall because they weren't sure about the smell of food being in the mall and all the trash it might, um, uh, you know, that we would have there. But it was a it was a success from from the beginning. That was in 1967. So I was nine years old when my dad um, opened that first restaurant. I remember the day being there. I primarily remember it because I didn't have to go to school that day. So from my, <laughs> from, from my perspective, that was my, was a big deal. Um, of course, we had no idea of what the Lord would do to it in the future, how the uh, family would, how the business, you know, would grow. But uh, that has kind of been my, my journey. And then when I was 19 years old, I became a Chick-fil-A operator myself. Wow. I took a year out of college. It was just a one year experience for me to be able to run a restaurant. 
But the benefit that I got out of it was I met my lifelong partner, John White, who I married, and we've been married for almost 46 years. So I hired him to come and work with me. I had never met him before, but I knew when he was filling out his application, I needed to hire him because he was good looking. So <laughs> that's how we got. Well done. That's, yeah, that's how we got connected. So that's a big part of my journey uh, with Chick-fil-A for sure. Did you hold, uh, so you were there for about a year. Did you hold other roles throughout, you know, Chick-fil-A's journey or what has been your experience? Well, the, you know, the, the business is family owned. So there are responsibilities that come with that for, for all of us. I have two older brothers. We're very close in age. Uh, both of my brothers, though, have been heavily involved in the management side of the business. Um, my husband and I actually ended up after we got married, uh, we ended up overseas doing international work, lived in Brazil oh, wow. for 10 years. And, um, and so we actually did inter- international work for about 20 years, but I've always seen my role as an ambassador, a representative, of course, uh, for the family and for the business, wherever I've gone and whatever I've done. But we make a lot of significant decisions that are part of the business that we hold as a, as a family so that we hold true to our purpose for being in business and hold true to our values that are important to us as a family, uh, running this family business for sure. Yeah. And this is a leadership podcast. And so obviously I'd be foolish not to ask you, but uh, is there anything significant that you've learned about leadership throughout watching, you know, your parents, your generation, the next generation leading Chick-fil-A that is significant to you? Yeah. You know, most definitely several things kind of come to mind. Uh, One is that there are just no shortcuts to success in life. Um, You know, hard work is a part of it. Determination, having a sense of wisdom, how to make good decisions, are all important for uh, for good leaders, and um, we we often remind people that success is great, but significance is greater. And so, to find a sense of significance in what you're doing as a leader is important in life. And and obviously, there there are no there are no obstacles that are too difficult to overcome. Uh, we are a family who believes in our Christian faith. We um, base our belief on the trust in God. There's a wonderful verse in the Bible that says. For with God, all things are possible. And we really believe that when you lean into uh, to, to the Lord, he allows you to be able to do things. He takes ordinary people and allows you to do extraordinary things. You just have to be willing to trust. And then I go back to those basic leadership principles uh, that say, start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. Uh, it is such a reflection of my dad's story and Chick- the Chick-fil-A story because my dad started in that small little restaurant. He just started where he was. He used what he had. He said he didn't have room to have any other type of bread in his restaurant. So he had hamburger bread because that's what he served in his restaurant. So to this day, we use typical hamburger buns uh, to put our, our chicken in. And he put pickles on the chicken sandwich because that's what he had there. And that's what he was putting on the hamburger. So it's oftentimes, I think, as leaders, we we cripple ourselves because we look around and we think, well, I don't have what this other person has. I can't do what this other person does. And so we sell ourselves short uh, in terms of our leadership opportunities. Uh, and if we will just take these principles uh, to heart to realize, just start where you are, just use what you have around you and do what you can. And God will take and do something extraordinary with it. 
Yeah, it may be a similar answer, but you know, in my life personally, anytime that I see God using someone or something or an organization, you know, in a significant way, like he's using Chick-fil-A, I always just yeah. try to ask the Lord, God, what is it about them uh, yeah. that has allowed you to use them in the way that you're using them? And I'm just curious if you had to answer that, you know, based on Chick-fil-A, what God's been able to do in and through Chick-fil-A, you know, what would you, how would you answer that? Well, how's God using us? I um, One really important thing to us at Chick-fil-A is that we recognize that biblical principles and good business practices go hand in hand. So when we merge those two and we look at what God has to say about life and how we treat other people and what it means to serve, um, a lot of our serve our serve model our leadership models come from biblical principles when um, when god talks about going the second mile that we're to go the extra mile in how we serve others so in our restaurants it would not be unusual at all for maybe someone to open the door for our guests as they come in to eat with us we have people that pop up an umbrella to help moms with little babies to head back out to their their cars there's just lots of stories out there of how we're able to serve people not just serve them food but serve and help them uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I, I believe the, uh, that God honors that. Um, my dad wrote uh, one of his books. Uh, the title of his book is How Did You Do It? True It. And, um, and he, he basically says in that book, there's no secret uh, to what he's been able to, able to do. Because uh, honestly, when you surround yourself by capable people that, that help you and you trust the Lord uh, for that business and you build it around biblical principles, I mean, it's a success um, uh, a recipe right there in and of itself. You've just got to dig into the truth and understand them. Yeah. And I am curious, you know, over the history of Chick-fil-A, you know, you said there's no shortcuts to success in, and clearly, you know, people can look at Chick-fil-A what it is today, but they don't always see the journey. Um, you know, you mentioned your dad having his first restaurant burned down. Were there other pivotal moments that were, that you look at now or look back on and say that was critical and God taking us from where we were at that time to where we are today? And what were those decisions and or situations? Yeah, I think there there are a lot of those in in our story with Chick Fil A. The earliest, other than the fire, might be that my dad actually opened his first restaurant in partnership with one of his two brothers. Uh, his brother's name was Ben, and they were working side by side. My dad felt like Ben had some giftedness that my dad didn't have. My dad barely finished high school, um, and so he and he actually was kind of a quiet young man. He had a speech impediment when he was a young child that made it difficult for him to communicate clearly and so partnering with partnering with his brother Ben made him feel a little bit more confident in what he was doing but um, Ben died in a plane crash shortly after my dad opened this restaurant and that was devastating to my dad um, newly married with young children and and trying to start this business and to lose his business business partner uh, was uh, a difficult time uh, for him and and yet uh, God has equipped my dad through the years of course to build that sense of confidence that he he lacked during those times I would go forward and say that probably another very pivotal time for us at Chick-fil-a was in the 1980s during that time the economy was in recession uh, in other our, our competitors were offering a chicken sandwich that was driving the prices of chicken up uh, astronomically um, barred money was in double digit interest on barred money was in double digits. It was a really difficult time to be in business. And we were even beginning to question ourselves. Could we hang in there and stay in there? We had opened probably almost a hundred restaurants within 24 months. So we felt like 
perhaps we had overextended ourselves a little bit for the way the economy was at this particular time. And our leadership pulled away to try to see what we could resolve. But what they ended up talking about was why are we really in business to begin with? I think that's a question we all ask ourselves when we kind of feel our backs up against the wall and we're not sure how to move forward. We kind of think, why am I here? You know, what's my purpose for life? And so asking this critical question about our business is why are we here? What is our purpose for actually even being in business? And after about two and a half days, our leadership team walked away with um, what is known now as our corporate purpose is the reason we open every door in our restaurants across the country. And our purpose for that, for being a business, is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And so when people hear that purpose, you don't hear about sales. You don't hear about how much chicken we want to sell. Uh, but you do hear about um, influence and stewardship, and that's what's important to us, that we glorify God through those. That has been a pivotal moment for us in our in our business because, like even in our personal life, anytime you define your purpose, then you get real clarity on your priorities. Mm-hmm. And when we got that clear on our purpose, we begin to realize, you know, we begin to pull away from the um, from the, the competitors. We begin to focus on the things that were important in life, that if we could just honor the Lord and what he entrusted to us and that we could steward it well and use it to leverage opportunity of influence. So I'll let the secret out today that we're, we're actually not in the chicken business. We're in the people business Mm -hmm. and we simply use the chicken sandwich as a tool to allow us to influence others. Yeah. I love that so much. We've been talking about your dad, Truett, and obviously he's legendary and uh, you've written several books. Um, and, you know, obviously I, having the opportunity to spend time with you, I have to ask what you learned from your parents. But one thing, you know, I've always heard about Truett and I, I guess I never really thought about your mom, um, but you've actually written a memoir about your mom's life called A Quiet Strength. And uh, I just want to leave this open-ended, you know, what were maybe two or three of the greatest lessons that either your mom or your dad or both of them together taught you? Yeah, well, this book that I wrote on my mom is called A Quiet Street. The title actually comes from a verse in the Bible that says, In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And my mother was kind of in the backdrop. You won't find a whole lot about her out there on the Internet. She was a tremendous support uh, to my dad. Our home office in Atlanta, our Chick-fil-A home office, we call it our support center because it is the center that supports all of our operators that are out across the country. But uh, actually, the original support center started in our home where my mom and dad were because my mom supported my dad uh, in such a significant way. All of us in our family would say that our family and our business is who we are today, primarily because of the person that my mom was. So she taught us how how important it was to be still and know that God was there with us. Uh, she was someone who was a prayer warrior for us. She was a cheerleader. She was always encouraging us, my dad, as well as my brothers, even her grandchildren and her great children. So the lesson I've learned from my mom is uh, to learn to be still and to learn to trust in the Lord in whatever you do. And probably my biggest lesson from from my dad um, there are just a lot of things that I've seen in his life, but I think the biggest one is, um, is about consistency that you, how important it is that you're consistent in how you live your life. I think you can lead people well when you're consistent. It's when you get inconsistent, uh, with every facet of your life that people get a little confused. And my dad, just as in the restaurant, we want, if someone eats at Chick-fil-A out in California and they have a Chick-fil-A in Florida, we want it to be the same wonderful experience. We want it to be consistent. 
Um, we feel the same way about our own lives. So I've learned that from my dad. Uh, for me as a uh, as a wife, for me as a mom, for a, as a grandmother, I realize that the more consistent I can be in how I live my life, the better example I'll be for those around me. Wow. Uh, in a similar vein, do you have any any favorite memories or fun memories that you can share with us uh, of your parents? And maybe it was something you know, were about to talk about uh, your new book, A Legacy, The Last and Values. Mm-hmm. You know, were there any experiences that you had with them that you'd say, wow, that memory really implanted that in me? Well, when I think about back about my childhood growing up, um, some of the most memorable things were uh, just that my mom and dad were so generous and, and hospitable to other people. My mom and dad loved to have people over to our house. Now, we grew up south of Atlanta on uh, in the country on a very small farm. So we had a lot of pasture and a lot of space to run and, and play. And so my dad loved that we had some four wheelers around to be able to ride. We had ponies, Shetland ponies that we would ride for fun. And um, my dad just loved hosting uh, youth particularly to come to our house. So my brothers and I always enjoyed that. Those were usually Saturday afternoon uh, events. We didn't like cleaning up and getting the yard ready for, for them to come, picking up all those pine cones. We didn't like all that, but we sure enjoyed it when people would come. And I think that's really where we learned to be a little bit more generous with our life, to share ourselves with other people. So mom and dad were extremely generous. And those are memorable times that we had uh, growing up. My dad um, always had a positive outlook on life. And always had a lot of fun wherever we went. So we, we found ourselves laughing so many times just sitting around the table, uh, with my parents. So a lot of, lot of, there was a lot of love and there was a lot of laughter in our home. It wasn't a perfect home. We didn't have perfect parents. There are no perfect people in the world. Uh, but I would say, um, it was, a, it was a happy time growing up with our family for sure. And lots of sweet memories of, uh, times with them doing things with them. My mother also had a very positive outlook on life. Now, something about my mom that people probably don't know is that when she was a baby in arms, her earthly father walked out on her. So she was raised by a single mom. But when she was about five and a half years old, someone told her about her heavenly father and they told her that he could be, um, be her father that she never had on earth. And she would grow up in that incredible relationship with the Lord. And she would often tell people, said, don't feel sorry for me because my heavenly father became my perfect earthly father. And so that positive outlook that she had on life was very memorable to all of us. She just took anything that was negative and spun it in a positive way. And we're so grateful for that, for those sweet memories of knowing her and all that she taught us. Yeah, that, that just makes me curious. Did your, did your dad grow up knowing the Lord or how did he come to Christ? Yeah, great, great question. My dad, um, my dad's parents were, were followers of Jesus. And it was probably when my dad was about 12 years old that he made a decision, uh, to follow, follow the Lord. So very fortunate that both, both my mom and dad shared that Christian faith. And when they got married, they were very intentional about reading God's word, praying together, seeking God's direction on things that they did. So, um, so I'm very blessed by that. But I would also say if there are listeners that say, well, you know, I wasn't brought up that way. I don't know much about the Lord. I didn't have parents that set a good example for me. You know, I would say if you look around, you probably, perhaps your local church, you'll be able to find somebody that could help be a mentor uh, for you in your life. You can find someone that may even help you spiritually to be able to grow. I, I know for, for our children growing up overseas uh, in Brazil, of course, they had us as parents, but uh, they had um, just a 
wonderful older people that were around us that became kind of like substitute grandparents for our children. I feel like the Lord always puts in our past. If we'll look for them, he'll place people in our past that'll help us to be able to grow, uh, particularly in our faith, to be able to understand what it means to have real peace and real joy. And that's that's been a comfort to our family all these years. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. And, you know, I'm not going to share my whole story, but that's very much in line with my story. Uh-huh. Uh, God put so many spiritual fathers and mothers in my life to really mm-hmm. help me grow up uh, in God when I was a, I was a lost 17 year old. And so yeah. very, very grateful for all of you spare, spiritual parents who think just beyond your four kids or three kids uh, to think about others it makes a huge, huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about your newest book, A Legacy of the Last. The tagline is um, <clears throat> preserving and transferring your family values. And uh, this is huge. And it's beautiful I, th- that you have the credibility to actually write this book. I mean, you look now, there's four generations. Well, there's obviously more generations than Kathy's, but at least that I can see it's four generations of a really solid okay, family. And so can you just share, you know, why did you write this book and what do you want people to get out of it? Yeah, well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about the book, for sure. Um, my dad passed away when he was 93 years old. It was in 2014. And just 10 months later, my mom passed away at the age of 92 in 2015. So having lost both of our parents and with my husband and I, our family living very close to my mom and dad's house that they lived in for 56 years, I was the one kind of designated to clean through their house. So Anybody that's ever done that, you know what a big task that is. And and for a, a couple to live in a house for 56 years, we all know what happens. You you gather a lot of, you collect a lot of stuff, you know. And um, and I, I always remind everybody, they didn't take anything with them. So they left all of it. And I had to clean through all of it. So going through the drawers, through the closets and things, sometimes I would find things that would make me make me cry just because they were so tender to me and bring back so such sweet memories and other things I would find in the house. And I would think, why in the world do my parents still have this in their in their house? You know, how did it find a place and stay all these years? But once I had completely cleaned through their house, I began to realize that the most valuable thing that my parents left me actually was their legacy and their their legacy was just their life that they lived and i realized that the legacy that we all leave uh is the life we're living right now so i i thought man decisions that we're making are super important how we live our life every day is is it really matters because that is the legacy that we're going to end up leaving. It's not like we wait till we get older and then we say, now I'm going to live my legacy. It's actually, you have already been living your legacy. So I, I got this idea to, to write this book and try to really give some practical things to people to help them one, just identify their values, what's important to them because everybody has values. You just maybe hadn't taken the time to identify them. Uh, I'll also give some real practical ways you might be able to preserve those values and live them out. And then the greatest reward is how do you transfer those values to the next generation? I saw how my parents transferred certain values uh, to me. Uh, we have transferred those to our children, and now we have 17 grandchildren. So we are busy trying to make sure that they are understanding values and how important they are as well. Yeah. And, and let's just start there. So uh, I'm a father of four kids now, all seven and under. So it sounds like I'm your kid's age. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious if, if a family's listening to this and just saying, hey, I don't, I don't even know where to start. How can I set family values? How, what would you encourage them to do? Yeah. Well, one, my book is very practical. So reading the book will help a lot. But yeah. uh, what we did with with our children, when actually 
some years ago, probably the most significant we, thing we do with our, our young adult children was to ask them, would they pull away for one weekend a year and spend time with us, leave the grandchildren at home? And we began to go deep dive into things that matter in our life. And what we saw was they were young parents. Uh, some were some were finishing college. Some were parenting young children. And we thought one of the most important things they can do is to begin to wrestle with three questions. And these were the questions that our discussions revolved around. Uh, the first question was, what really matters to you? So I would say everybody needs to identify what matters to you uh, individually and even together with your spouse. The second question would be, what values govern how I make my decisions? Uh, again, we all have values. So there's some kind of filter that we're using while we're making decisions. And then the third question would be, what values do we want others to recognize uh, in our life? And I think that's a really important question because oftentimes we might identify a certain value and we say, this is important to me. But if nobody else sees that uh, in your life, for example, one of the values that John and I have is family. And so we carve out significant time to make sure we're with family. You look at my calendar, you'll see where it's highlighted in yellow, the times that I'm dedicating to making sure I have time with, with family. And so if I didn't do that, people might look at me and say, well, Trudy says family is important, but I never see her spending time with her family, right? So if there's a disconnect between what we think to be of value and how we're actually living our life, we need to reevaluate that. We need to kind of get it in sync. So the, the, the first step is merely just trying to identify those. In my book, I've listed probably almost a hundred values with a short little uh, definition of those. And what we do with our children, we say, I want you to take all these words and I want you to spread them out. And I want you to uh, identify what's really important to you and what's probably not so important to you. And see if you can get those down to about four, five or six words. Get them down to a manageable uh, list and then begin to really concentrate on those values. Live them out as you go day by day. That's so good. And I love that that third question about the recognizing. Fun story. I, I had an advisory board for uh, this L three leadership, and I put I was challenged to put together values, and I always do way too much. And I think I had nine values, and one was excellence. And um, in, in theory, I think that's a great value. Uh, but one of my advisory board members was like, "Yeah, that's not a value of yours. Like, don't even." And so I'm, I'm not good with details. I'm not going to follow follow through. So yeah, it was really. <laughs> interesting to actually get feedback on, hey, am I actually living these out? And, and if I'm not, why? Mm. Um, so you then you obviously identify your values. How What are some things that families can do to actually start to instill these into their kids and in the future generations? Yeah, great question. What what we try to do is first just you know put a plan in place, a simple plan. And the first thing is just to begin to talk about those values, you know. So um John and I talk about them together with ourselves, we talk about them with our children, we talk about them with our grandchildren, just talking about the values and having a conversation, say, Can I just share with you what really matters to me? in life and and sometimes whoever you're sharing it with can give you some pointers on how you can dive even deeper into that particular value but that's the first thing is is to talk about your values to others the second is to write them down uh, sometimes we hold things in our mind and we tend to forget about them put them on a card put them in front of you put them by your computer wherever you uh, wherever you do work maybe put them on your mirror my mother was uh, she was always a fan of putting things on the mirror because she knew she'd be probably looking in the mirror at least once a day and she'd be able to check her note, her, her list of things she's got to do or whatever is important to her. She'd put scripture verse on mirror. So wherever you spend some of your time, uh, write these values down, put them before you uh, so you're mindful of them and, and even, you know, display them if you, if you need to do that. 
um, we have our values. We have five values and we have them um, hanging just above our dining room table where we uh, in our kitchen table where we eat every day. And when guests come in our home, they see these words up on the wall and they say, what is this? And we have an opportunity to, to talk about them and share about them. So they become a big part of um, who you are in your life. I remember a previous interview I was doing and uh, the person was was shocked. They said, you really put them on your wall in your house? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you know, I, I do. There's a, there's a verse in, old, in the Old Testament in the Bible that says, you know, you're to share these things with your children. Talk about when you when you sit down and when you rise and when you when you walk along the way and when you lie down at night. You know, so sometimes when you put things in front of us, it allows us to be reminded to talk about them. Yeah, I love this so much. And I'm sure people are listening to this and saying, okay, Trudy, what are your five values? Can you share those with us? And then I would love to take a little bit of a deep dive of what they look like in your life. Sure. So, so, so faith, our Christian faith is our, one of our values. It is our filter for our decision making process and everything that, that we do. The second value for us is family that I've mentioned already that we, you know, carve out time uh, to be with our family. The third is integrity. We'll go deeper uh, about that as to how we live our life. Uh, the fourth value for us is generosity, being generous with what we have, uh, not just in terms of resources or finances, but in terms of our time, in terms of our talent, and even leveraging our influence is an opportunity for us to uh, to be generous. And then the last one be, would be gratitude. So those are the five that we focus on. Yeah, I just want to dive into to each of those. When it comes to faith, um, you know, I've heard you speak in other interviews, um, and you just talked about the importance of church in your life. And, you know, I think they said statistically that the average church attender now only attends church once a month, uh, sometimes twice. And I, I think that's a, a huge loss. Can you talk about, you know, within your faith value, why is church so important to you and your family? Yeah, well, church is important to me, first of all, because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and having that personal relationship and realizing that I'm not God. Uh, he is. Uh, there is something about me that realizes that my dependency is, is on the Lord. And if I'm going to live that kind of life, I'm actually going to need to surround myself with other people who believe that as well. They can help me in this journey. Nobody likes to live life alone. We weren't we weren't um, we weren't created uh, to, to live on an island. And so going to church, what it does for, for us and having that habit of, of going on a regular basis every, every week, we're committed to being there, actually gives us a chance to connect with other believers uh, that are go doing life with us. And, and, and we're all learning. Uh, we're all growing our relationship with the Lord. We're growing in how do we live the life that God had created us to, to live so we can be encouragers to one another. We can hold each other accountable. We can recognize that, oh, we go through difficulties. Look. There's some other people that go through difficulties as well. So we can relate to one another and, um, and, and we can learn from each other's experience. So church is super important to, to us. I, my parents took us to church on a regular basis. Uh, we did the same with our children. They're doing the same, uh, with, with their children and learning that the local church is, is just a tremendous, it's, it's your family. It's a support system, uh, that, that we all need and we appreciate. Uh, not only going to church, but also actually being involved in church. I work with children kindergarten through fifth grade. So I teach uh, children. John teaches an adult class uh, that every six weeks is maybe a different topical type class and stuff. So we've learned to not only go to church, but actually serve. And honestly, the more I serve, the more I learn. So uh, when I can give of myself, I'm actually learning as well. 
Yeah. Another thing under the value of faith that I know you're passionate about is camps. And, uh, and I would love to, I know you've provided leadership for camps. I'd love for you to talk about this. I gave my life to Christ, uh, at a camp in, yeah. in seventh grade. And so uh, I just want to hear you tell people why camps are so important. Yeah. Camps are powerful. My mom and dad founded Windshape Camps back in 1984, uh, or 95, uh, 85, sorry, 85, launched a boys camp and 87, a girls camp. And, um, here, here's the whole deal. Um, you know, parents can talk to their blue in the face, but sometimes when you can send your, your, your children off to camp, particularly overnight camp, they have a chance to connect with friends. Uh, if it's a Christian camp, they have a chance, chance to be exposed to, to faith like, like you did. And they have an opportunity to just have a lot of fun and realize that, uh, living out your Christian life can, can be fun. And it's all about how we can help young people in this next generation invest in their lives uh, to encourage them to be all that God created them to be through experiences. Uh, experiences are valuable. Experiences are memorable. And so we all have our, our those, boss, those of us who have gone off to camp, we have all kinds of crazy memories, right? Uh, of, of making new friends and, and camping out or uh, learning how to build a fire, cooking around a fire. You get to do things that are uh, somewhat unique when you go off to camp. So we're a firm believer in, in that. Honestly, I feel like camp is as good for parents as it is for children. It gives parents a little bit of a break from their children and it gives the children a break from their parents. And so if you can send them to uh, to a great place that is a safe environment where you know that they're going to um, have wonderful counselors that will be role models for your children, uh, I am a huge supporter for, for camps. I grew up going to camp myself. My parents saw some wisdom in sending us off to camp. Although I will tell you that when I went off to camp, uh, it was in North Carolina, a wonderful camp there, and it was a five-week overnight camp. So my parents wow. packed us up for five weeks to go off to camp. I'm thinking they were desperate to have a break from their children. <laughs> you know, anybody that sends your children off to camp for that long, but mm. that's just the way they did camp back in those days. I think our summers were much, much longer. Um, mm. We had actually three full months of summer summertime. So to go off for one month to camp, I think my parents thought that was, that was great, but firm believer in, in, in camps, if they're, if they're grounded in in the word for sure. Yeah. Um, indirectly, we've really been talking about family a lot throughout the interview already. Um, but I am curious, obviously it's a value. I'll just leave this really open-ended again. I have four kids, seven and under what parenting advice do you have for me? All right. Here's, here's my, here's my best advice for you. For any parents, what we've learned in raising our children, one is, and you've probably heard this before, that things are more caught than they are taught. Uh, so if that holds true, then it means that you should not worry about the fact that your children are not, are not listening to you. Uh, it's okay. You can just keep repeating it over and over and over. And you kind of, sometimes you get discouraged. You say, oh, I, I just don't think they, they, they hear me. Uh, one time my mother took all three of us to the ear doctor because we were so not listening to our parents and things they were trying to tell us. And she thought maybe they literally can't hear very well. So let me get their ears checked. <laughs> so I mean, that is, a, that is a true story. <laughs> but here's the deal I tell parents. I say, don't worry if your children aren't listening to you, but be very concerned that they're watching everything that you're doing wow. because you are actually setting an example for them. So they see your attitude. Uh, they see how you interact with other people. They see your work ethic. They are, they are watching you all the time. And so that's what I really tell parents to do is just try to model for your children the kind of person you want them uh, to become. My mother used to tell me days are long, but life is short. Hmm. And Paul says in the book of Ephesians in the Bible, 
he says something like this. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like those who are fools, but live like those who are wise. And then he goes on to explain what it means to live like those who are wise. And he says, make the most of every opportunity. Hmm. So as a parent, make the most of the opportunities that you have, even when they're little, to model for them the person you want them to become. Yeah. You talked about the power of consistency in your dad's life and just you mm-hmm. seeing that modeled. Um, you just talked about making the most of every opportunity. Uh, I imagine just like all of us, uh, your schedule has to be wild. You have 17 grandchildren and I'm sure you just feel pulled in so many different directions. You're serving a church, you have Chick-fil-A responsibilities, all these different things you want to be a part of. How do you personally just prioritize your life in a way that you can actually focus on on your values and what matters most? Yeah, well, it, it is an exercise of just prioritizing. You, you you wake up and you say, okay, what's important for me to accomplish today? I'm a big to-do list kind of person. I map out my to-do list and see what all I've got to done. But I do make sure that I put the most important things uh, at the top of the list. But I also realize that sometimes we can't get through everything because there are necessary interruptions that come in our day. And I'm trying to always be keenly aware of those because I feel like sometimes those are God moments for me. Um, maybe it's, it's a phone call that'll come in, um, a request for me to go do something, or maybe it's something I see that my neighbor, not my neighbor needs. And I think, I think I need to set aside what I planned today to go and, and do, you know, whatever it is. So just, Trying to be flexible, I think, is important. Be attentive to unexpected opportunities that might uh, come your way. Uh, stick to those priority things that are most important uh, to you and realize you can't do everything. So that's why I encourage people to understand their values, because one of the things that it does for you, not only does it help you to be a little more intentional in how you live your life, but it also allows you to say no to the good things and yes to the even better things. Mm-hmm. And I tend to be a very yes person. I want to do anything anybody asks me to do because I'm a real people pleaser. And understanding my values and focusing in on those really does allow me to be able to say no to some things. There are a lot of great things out there that we can all get involved in and we can't do them all. So we have to learn how do we choose the better things to do. Yeah. Third value you talked about was just integrity. And I know mm-hmm. your dad's life verse, I can't quote it off the top of my head, but it was all about developing a good name and, and the power of that. Can you talk about the power of developing a good name for yourself and just how can leaders and people just grow their character and integrity in general? Yeah, well, I define integrity as doing the right thing at the right time, no matter where you are or who you're with. I think that's so very important that we're making the right kind of choices. Uh, that is what builds character and integrity into our life. My dad's life verse uh, is from Proverbs 22.1. I can't quote it. It says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. So it talks about this idea of character. Um, my dad never unpacked this a lot w- with me, but um, actually the reason this became his life verse was because he was in elementary school And the teacher gave all the students an assignment to go home and find a Bible verse and bring it back to school written down on a card. And so when my dad went home with this homework assignment, uh, he never told me this side of the story, but he did. But I just can imagine that his mom probably stopped him when he came in the door and said, son, do you have homework? And and he said, yeah, I got to find a Bible verse. And he probably wasn't all that excited about it, but... His mom got real excited about it because she was a believer. She had a well-worn Bible, so she pulled that Bible out, I would imagine, and she probably set my dad on her lap and said, let's find us a verse, and she turned to Proverbs 22.1 and read that to him. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. 
And when it says a good name there, of course, my dad had that speech impediment. It was difficult for even to say his own name. But I imagine his mom took time to say, you know, this is not talking about your name, Truett Cathy. It's talking about who you become in life, uh, your reputation. And isn't it interesting that God says your a good name is much rather to be had than great riches. And I'm sure she explained to my dad, you know, you're grown up in a poor family. You'll probably never have much the rest of your life. But how wonderful that the Bible says that's not what's important in life. But what is important is your is your character and who you become. So I when I get a chance to speak at graduations for high school or even college, you know, I just remind these students, you know, um, whoever you want to, uh, whatever you want to do in life is one thing, but who you become in life is super important. And that's what you want to focus on is who you're becoming and not necessarily what you're going to do. Yeah. Another one of your values is, is generosity. And you, you obviously are all known. You have a good name when it comes to generosity. You're a very generous family. I am curious though. And I, I do want you to talk about generosity on the the front end. And again, I don't know generationally, but obviously Chick-fil-A has done very well and God's trusted you with a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we live in a generation, you know, on Instagram, everyone wants to get rich quick and have all this money and buy a yacht mm-hmm. and do all these crazy things. What have you learned about money throughout the course of your journey uh, being a Kathy and owning Chick-fil-A? Well, the most important thing I have learned about money is that God owns it all. Mm-hmm. I don't own any of it. Uh, everything belongs to the Lord. The, the Bible says that that heaven and earth all belong to him. So anything that I have, I am merely to steward it well. If God is entrusted to me, whether it's finances, whether it's talents, uh, whatever it is, you know, God has entrusted that to me, then I have to steward it. Let me tell you how my parents taught this to us. I mean, my parents drilled this into us from the time we were quite young, reminded us all the time, this is not ours, this home that we live in, it belongs to the Lord and so forth and so on. But when when we were almost preteens, we were probably 11, 12, 13 years old, my parents told us that if we would wait till we were 18 years old, they would um, get us a car uh, to be our own car. And so when you're 11 years old, that sounds like a great deal. You know, you're not even driving yet. So, you know, who cares? So you think, well, that's wonderful. And, but when we begin to get 15 and 16 and we saw our friends getting cars, uh, either they were buying them for themselves or their parents were giving them cars and stuff, then we, you know, then we begin to kind of think, oh, you know, well, we don't have a car. And my parents said, but remember, we told you that if you'll wait till you're 18, you can get a car. We will get you your very first car. So we thought that's a pretty good deal. And we, we were permitted to drive the family car. Uh, we had to ask for the keys. We had to turn the keys back in. So we, we could get around. We had vehicles that we used that were our parents' cars. But I remember the day that I got my car. Now, my brothers had both already gotten their cars. They're older than I am. But when I turned 18 uh, in, in December, um, I got a white Ford Mustang with a red interior, if you can imagine. Ooh, so that was that was my that was my car of choice. And when uh, when my dad and mom handed me those keys and took me outside to see uh, that car that I had gotten and gave it to me, my dad uh, clearly reminded me. He said, Trudy, we want to remind you you think your mom and dad are giving you this car, but we want to remind you this car is coming from your heavenly father. And as parents, we are merely a channel uh, to pass that to you. But this car belongs to, uh, to God. And uh, we want you to conduct yourself that way to remember that he owns it. And you're just a steward it really well. Well, that put almost a big guilt trip on me when I was driving the car, I would turn the radio on and that's what I listened to back in those days. And, and uh, sometimes I would turn some songs on and I would think, 
I'm not sure the Lord wants me to listen to that kind of song. And, and so I would have to turn the channel to, a, to another song or even my friends from school would jump in and uh, ride with me. They would want to see the car and they thought it was cool, but they had, uh, you know, had this Ford Mustang and, and um, oftentimes their language was not uh, according to my language. Their, sometimes their lifestyles were a little different. And I would just remind them, say, hey, in this car, you can't talk like that. When you get out of here, you can talk however way you want to. But this is really not my car. So <laughs> so it, it was that was just the, the way we were we were brought up. And people listening, you may not even know, but every restaurant that we open at Chick-fil-A, we have a dedication dinner for them before we open those restaurants. And that dinner is specifically with an objective to teach our team members to remind them that this business is our business. This business belongs to the Lord. We are merely to steward it really well. Uh, and, and that allows us to be generous, to be honest with you. When you realize that you don't own it, you've just got to steward it. And even Jesus was the one that said it's better to give than to receive. And when we can really accept that and believe it and live that way, um, it, it, it's wonderful. It, it, you find a lot of joy in being able to give. Yeah. Your, your final value is gratitude. And I'm just curious, it, it may be the exact same answer, but you're now, mm-hmm. you know, the fourth generation of Chick-fil-A uh, or kids that are growing up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I forget all the statistics, but I feel like a lot of times they say by the third generation, you know, that's when things go right, everything goes away. That does not appear to be the case at Chick-fil-A. I think there's a lot of people and leaders listening to this who have done well in their lives and their biggest fear is I don't want my kids to end up spoiled. I don't want them. And uh, how do you raise your kids to not be spoiled and have gratitude and to be good stewards? Is it just simply reminding them that everything is God's or is there anything else that you all have done that's been helpful? Well, I, I think my parents didn't give us everything we wanted. Children aren't smart enough to know what they really need anyway. Mm-hmm. And so my parents often said no to a lot of things. I think there was a lot of wisdom in that. I, I saw a lot of children growing up and in wealthy families that, that did get spoiled. I saw what it did for them. So I, I didn't appreciate it then. I appreciate it now that my parents learned quickly how to say no to things that we wanted. Um, We've also, I think what my parents have done and what John and I have tried to do with our children and grandchildren is to help them to go places and do things uh, that allow them to see where a lot of people who have are less fortunate than we are, that uh, makes you appreciate what you do have and allows you to have a sense of gratitude for the things that God has given you. But I always say you've got to learn how to be generous first, and that helps you. Uh, to have a sense of, of gratitude for what you have. Uh, we had an opportunity to take our children on a, on a mission trip, or our grandchildren, excuse me, on a mission trip. And before we went on that trip, uh, we gave each one of them some money. And then we went to Walmart and let them buy some things that were on a list for the needs of the people that where we were going uh, on this trip and let them spend that money for other people. So anytime you can do that, I think that allows them to learn how to be uh, grateful for what, they have and just expressing gratitude. Uh, we have always tried to tell our children, you know, say thank you to people when they do things for you, even if it's just open the door for you or, or if they provide a meal for you or drive you somewhere, uh, just instilling that, uh, that from the heart that to uh, express appreciation uh, begins and eventually they begin to uh, appreciate just the little things that people do. I'm a big note writer. I, I think we, it's a lost art to write notes to people. And I've kind of gone back to, to writing thank you notes. I know that people don't expect that anymore. And it's unique to get a letter maybe in the, in the mail. 
but I am trying to encourage my children and grandchildren to do that as well. Whenever you can, just sit down and jot a note to somebody and express um, gratitude to them uh, for what they've done. So, um, yeah. I love that. And and again, the book's called A Legacy, The Last. We've already talked about a few of your books. So, and again, if you're listening to this, we'll include links to all of Trudy's books uh, in the show notes. So make sure you check it out there. Uh, I did want to touch on one of uh, one other thing, one other book that you wrote uh, that was called Climb Every Mountain. It's really about going through difficult things. And I also think we live in a world where, you know, people could look at you and your family's life and say, oh, if I own Chick-fil-A, you know, my life would be up and to the right and I'd never have any problems. But the reality is, you know, Jesus said we all will all have trouble in this world. Um, yep. Why do you write this book? And, and really, I know you've gone through many tough things as well. How do you process pain and grief and tough things in your life? Yeah, what a great question. Yeah, I wrote this book. I, I love mountains. Mountains are a reminder to me of the, how majestic the Lord is and uh, how near he is and his beautiful creation. But I also say that mountains remind me of the difficulties in life and that we all face them, like you said. But what I've learned in my journey of life so far is that God never wastes experiences uh, that we have. Now, we may waste them, but God's intent is to never waste experience. He actually wants us to learn from every experience that we have, and he uses them uh, for our good ultimately and for his glory. So when we, when I have grown, I have realized that I grow more in my difficult seasons than I do when things are going uh, perfectly fine. I tend to lean, lean in a little more to my trust, trust in my dependency on the Lord. My husband has had cancer twice. We've both lost uh, both sets of parents. Um, we've, We've had challenges in our marriage that we've had to work through. Uh, we're committed to our marriage, but that doesn't mean that uh, life is a bed of roses every day. Uh, we've had parenting issues that we've had to deal with with raising children. But all of those have allowed us to uh, recognize a greater dependency uh, on the Lord. And that's what's been important to us with with trying to climb mountains that seem unsurmountable, that we can't uh, make it. But we have uh, certainly realize that we will not make it through our difficult seasons uh, without leaning into a God who is, is so great and so full with love, uh, who gives us hope and strength uh, for every day. I love the uh, the verse in Psalms that says, I will lift up my eyes to the, to the hills or to the mountains. Where does my strength come from? My help, my strength comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. I couldn't agree more. And again, thank you for sharing that. We'll include a link to that book in the show notes as well. Uh, as we wrap up, I just want to ask a few fun questions. I call it the lightning yeah. round. Uh, I do in every interview. And the first one's just real basic. And you've given so much advice already. But uh, what is the best advice you've ever received and who gave it to you if you haven't already shared that? I would say my dad. Uh, my dad told me this when I was a teenager. He said, Trudy, if you'll help enough other people get what they want in life, you'll eventually get what you want out of life. And I've had to put that into practice through the years. If you could put a quote on a billboard for everyone to read, what would it say? I can't put eat more chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Just curious. Hey, I, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. No, Done. I think I would. Yeah, I, no, I think I would say God loves you. Trust Him. Hmm. Uh, do you have a book or two that's impacted you in a significant way, either recently or all time, that you recommend? The, the the book that I've just finished reading is The Ruthless in Elimination of Hurry from John Mark Homer. Yeah, great book. Um, yes. My all-time favorite for leadership is Spiritual Leadership uh, by uh, Blackaby. Hmm. Uh, love love that book. Those two are, are wonderful. Um, you get to spend time with a lot of high-level leaders. I'm just curious, when you get to spend time with someone that you admire, uh, do you have a go-to question or two that you always ask them? 
I think with every leader leader I'm around, I always want to know who they're following because, um, yeah, I'm always curious. So who are you following? Outside of God. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Primarily, I primarily <laughs> I'm following the the Lord. That is where my focus is for sure. Okay. Um, I don't know if you have an actual bucket list or not, but what's something you've done in your life that you think everyone should experience before they die? Oh, gracious. Um, I do have a bucket list, but I, I, I'll, I'll have to tell you that a hobby is important. Um, when COVID hit, I learned to ride a horse and I am taking horseback riding lessons now and I'm really enjoying it. I think I would say I've never really had a hobby, uh, something I've just done for fun for just myself. And so I think everybody ought to pick up some kind of hobby uh, before they die, something you do just for fun, just for yourself. Love it. Uh, if you can go back and have coffee with yourself at any age and you would have actually listened to yourself, uh, what age would you go have coffee with yourself and what would have you told that version of Trudy? I think I would go back to when I was probably 13 or 14 uh, in that season of life. And I would tell myself, Trudy, just be who you are. Don't worry about trying to be somebody else. That was that was something I wrestled with a lot as a teenager. Um, always seen if I could be somebody else instead of just be who I was. And we've talked a lot about legacy already, but I'll, we'll just end with this one. You know, what do you want your legacy to be at the end of your life? Oh, such a great, such a great question. Um, I really think I would want my legacy to be that I was intentional uh, with my influence. Uh, that's where my focus is every day that I get up. How do I intentionally influence those around me? Anything else you want to leave leaders with today? I know this has been great. Thank you. Uh, Trudy, this was wonderful. Thanks for adding value to me and everyone who will listen to this. And thank you for everything you're doing through your life. You're a world changer and uh, the world is better for having you in it. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for this time. Appreciate it. Well, Leader, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Trudy. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find ways to connect with her and links to everything that we discussed in the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash 376. And hey, leader, I say it every episode, but if you really want to 10x your growth this year, then you need to either launch or join an L3 Leadership Mastermind Group. Mastermind Groups are simply groups of 6 to 12 leaders that meet together on a consistent basis for at least one year in order to help each other grow, hold each other accountable, and to do life together. For me personally, Mastermind Groups have been the greatest source of growth in my life over the last eight years. So if you're interested in learning more about launching or joining a group, go to l3leadership.org forward slash masterminds or email me at dougsmith at l3leadership.org. And as always, Leader, I like to end every episode with a quote, and today I'll quote Gerald Brooks, who said this, You must make a decision whether you are going to build a name or the kingdom. I love that. Gerald Brooks is so good. Well, Leader, know that Laura and I love you. We believe in you, and I say it every episode, but don't quit. Keep leading. The world desperately needs your leadership. We'll talk to you next episode.